This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Savage Henry Comedy Club, Goat Global Humboldt, and Humboldt Urban Market. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. This is the 50th episode of the Humboldt Chronicles, and this episode can be thought of as a part two of our January show. Our guest this month is, once again, Natalie DeLapp, Executive Director of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. HCGA is an industry association whose members include a large number of Humboldt County businesses involved in various facets of the cannabis industry. By way of background, the cannabis industry here in Humboldt and statewide is suffering for a host of reasons that have coalesced to drive prices down in the legal marketplace, impacting the entire supply chain but hitting cultivators especially hard. As a short-term pressure release valve, HCGA and others have called upon the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors to suspend or reduce county tax payments that are due by cultivators pursuant to the ballot initiative Measure S. Earlier this month, over the course of two meetings, the Board of Supervisors took up the matter and took action on it. We'll get to the specifics of the supervisor's decision later in this broadcast, but we want to begin by revisiting last month's discussion for those who might have missed it. We spoke with Natalie DeLapp about some of the factors that created the need for this tax payment suspension. Your organization has recently gotten involved with an initiative seeking suspension of Measure S tax collection. What industry developments led to your involvement in this initiative? We work at the behest of our membership and the industry. And in 2021, in the later part of the spring and early summer, we started to hear that the market price for cannabis at the wholesale level was plummeting. And it was creating shockwaves through our industry, um, much like the 2008 housing crisis. And so almost overnight, the price of cannabis plummeted and has not come back up. Are there factors other than overproduction driving prices down or, or what do you attribute all this to? I mean, it's pretty simple supply and demand. And so it is massive overproduction on a state level. The state of California has effectively licensed at least four times more production than the California market can consume. I think it's it's broadly true to say that wholesale prices have been declining, you know, for years since the the 215 era. Is the situation worse now than it was um say a year ago? Yes. There are a lot of regions around the state that have brought a lot of new cultivation online in the Central Valley, Lake County. There's really large indoor cultivation, Santa Barbara, Salinas. Um, and then let's just kind of call it what it is. For a couple years, it took those new operators some time to figure out how to grow cannabis, how to make sure that it's clean and was testing properly according to California standards. And Many of those operators have figured it out as well. There are um, auto flower strains that are early producers. So in many other parts of the state have longer growing seasons than we do in the northern part of the state. And so, you know, it's kind of a, a perfect storm where all of these new production areas came online 
um, auto flower, longer growing seasons, and the market was flooded. Why do we have massive overproduction? Both Proposition 64, as well as the uh, prior laws, Medical Marijuana Regulation Safety Act and the Medical Cannabis Regulation Safety Act, both of which were passed by the legislature and signed by Governor Brown in 2015 and 2016, uh, was going to limit cultivation in California to no greater than one acre. Proposition 64 also promised that there would be no cultivation greater than one acre until 2023. It would time unlimited licensing would come online. One of the biggest betrayals by the state of California is at the 11th hour in the middle of December of 2017, right before California unveiled its new state recreational licensing regime, the one acre cap was surreptitiously removed due to stakeholder involvement. And that is what has now allowed the massive proliferation of large-scale cultivation across the state. So it all goes back to what we all learned in our first year in college in Economics 101, supply and demand. Yeah. There's there's a lot of supply. And, you know, you would think that there would be plenty of demand, but there's a couple of things that are limiting that. For one thing, unlike what you see on the Arcata Plaza Mm -hmm. during the summer on Saturdays, marijuana cultivators can't just go and set up a a farm stand and sell directly to consumers. No, they have to go to distributors. Then it goes to a dispensary. They can't sell direct to customers the way others in the agriculture industry can. And also, Prop 64 gave local jurisdictions the ability to opt out completely. And lots have, whether it's a, a town or a whole county. And so there are large parts of the state that aren't even participating in this. And so the folks who live in those areas have no access to this product locally, in their region at least. They have to go somewhere else. And so that limits the number of markets that cultivators can access. Here again is Natalie DeLapp. A typical business, if it wants to make more money, one of the things it can do is increase its customer base. Cannabis farmers are prohibited from increasing their customer base. They are not allowed to sell directly to consumers. It has to go through distribution to retail. Um, There are very, very few cannabis farmers, especially in Humboldt County or anywhere within the Emerald Triangle that own their own retail establishment. So unless a cannabis farm is vertically integrated, meaning they have production, manufacturing, distribution, and retail, they cannot access consumers. And vertical integration would be expensive, right? It's very expensive. Um, There was a provision within Proposition 64 to allow these micro-businesses to develop so they could have cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and retail. I think in Humboldt County, we maybe have four or five of those licenses They're really just not set up well from a licensing and regulatory approach for operators like we have here in Humboldt to um, use that pathway. When you say that the state is over licensing, do you mean that they're granting licenses too liberally or they're not taking into account the, you know, the sort of market constraints before they grant license? What do you mean when you say they're over licensing? So you've probably read the, the, the headlines that Santa Barbara County now has more acres in cultivation than Humboldt County. Yes. Have you heard that? I yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Santa Barbara was not a traditional area for cannabis cultivation. 
Humboldt County and probably Mendocino could supply the entire state with enough cannabis to be consumed. These are traditional areas, as well as Trinity, Nevada County, um, Sonoma, some areas down in Big Sur. They're areas where cannabis has traditionally been cultivated. The state of California, by authorizing all of this new cultivation, that's where oversupply comes. I mean, the reason Humboldt County is world-renowned and has had a world-renowned reputation is because for decades, Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle have been supplying not just California, but likely the United States with a lot of really good bud. Now, when the state of California allowed all of these areas new to come online and the state did not limit the size of those new cultivation to one acre that's why we're seeing 80 acre farms um, we're seeing you know multiple acre indoor operations that are coming online in the desert areas if we have 435 acres of cultivation in Humboldt and Santa Barbara now has surpassed us we're growing too much weed in the state and the state is allowing that they're accepting those licensing fees and allowing that new cultivation to come online. Does the fact that so many local jurisdictions around the state have decided to opt out play into this somehow? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Almost 70% of the state of California does not have any access to legal retail. The provisions of Prop 64, as well as the earlier iterations of both MMRSA and MCRSA, provided local control. So in Humboldt County and many in many jurisdictions, local control is very important. So if the state of California said every county and every city across the state has to allow cannabis cultivation or has to allow some form of cannabis retail, those jurisdictions would get upset. They don't like being told from a top-down approach what they have to do or can't do. We're seeing this with the pandemic. We don't like it. The public doesn't like it, and they revolt. That being said, because of local authorization, many jurisdictions, in fact, 70% of counties in the state do not have any pathway for consumers to buy legal cannabis. And so if you can't legally buy cannabis, then you're buying products either from your friends or neighbors or people are buying from illegally run dispensaries. That audio is from last month's edition of the Humboldt Chronicles. The entire episode is available for streaming at lostcoastoutpost.com and for downloading at 941lounge.com. With that background in mind, after a short break, we'll be back with Natalie Delap to find out what the Board of Supervisors decided to do. You're listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Natalie DeLapp, Executive Director of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance, about recent action taken by the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors to provide short-term relief to cannabis cultivators who are faced with what many describe as an existential crisis. To an outside observer, or at least to this outside observer, the action at the Board of Supervisors happened unusually quickly. However, advocacy at the local level actually began last summer. Here's Natalie DeLapp. Back in August and September, we started communicating with the Board of Supervisors, letting them know that there was a wholesale cannabis price collapse and started doing advocacy with the staff and supervisors to look for 
stopgap solutions. So we did a lot of advocacy as a community through the fall. And one of those components was discussing Measure S because these taxes are due twice a year. So that work was being done through the fall. And then as we came through harvest of 2021, the prices with cannabis continued to plummet. And so we've been in regular communication with the supervisors. There's been a lot of recognition through the statewide media as to the problems that are happening with licensed cannabis in the state. And the situation's only getting worse. And so in mid-December, we started doing more advocacy and HCGA, we submitted a letter to the supervisors asking that they put forward an agenda item as soon as possible to discuss a Measure S tax relief strategy. Of course, we then went through the winter holiday and starting up in January, the industry had to mobilize because deadlines were pending. The next payment that is due is March 15th. So the supervisors needed to act fast and just the very nature and process of how things are agendized with the supervisors is somewhat slow. It can take two to four weeks before an item is brought forward. We also knew that the discussion was complicated and had a lot of considerations. And so a lot of departments needed to be involved in that kind of discussion and perspective solutions brought forward. So it seems like things moved pretty fast, but I would say as an industry, we have been collectively in communication with the supervisors, with the state, with the governor's office, with Department of Cannabis Control since last year in July when prices started failing. So is it the case that convincing people that there actually is a change circumstance and there actually is a problem here that needs to be addressed, that people were receptive to that idea? Or did you have to spend some time convincing people this is real? We've got a real problem. I think that the supervisors and the most of the department heads have understood. I mean, when there's a thousand people writing emails and letters and consistently saying the sky is falling, we're not crying wolf. And when it's happening, not just in Humboldt, but across the entire state of California, whether you're a self-funded cannabis business or a venture capital-backed canna corporation, when the whole industry is decrying the failure of California's legal system, it's probably true. Tell us about the ultimate decision that the Board of Supervisors made. What exactly did they decide? So the supervisors voted to reduce the county cannabis cultivation tax by 85% for the 2022 cultivation year. And they did one other thing, which is they extended the deadline for when late fees would be applied for what's known as the second payment, the October 2021 payment. If farmers are able to pay that payment before September 15th, 2022, they will not incur late fees. That being said, all previously invoiced back taxes that have been billed by the county are still due and payable. What happened, though, is right now, at the, like at this very moment, tax collector John Bartholomew has tax bills and invoices that were set to be mailed to farmers that are due on March 15th in one month what happened is those tax bills will be reduced by 85%. And so a 10,000 square foot cannabis farm that's outdoor would have received a $10,000 bill 
divided into two payments. So $5,000 would be due this March and $5,000 would be due in October. What has now happened is that $10,000 tax payment has been reduced by 85%. So now the total tax bill is $1,500. So a $750 payment is due by March 15th and an additional 750 is due by October 15th. And the final thing is the supervisors have agreed to come back and revisit the state of the market and reassess what to do with that tax rate in the fall. Are you happy with that decision? It's wonderful. It's it's really wonderful. It is a significant contribution by our county to supporting the industry. It is it is generous. It is going to result in reduced revenues for the county. Um, however, the county has decided to put forward a, a short-term investment strategy in hopes of developing a long-term sustainable tax revenue stream into the future. Is this now done and done, or is there a further action that's needed by the Board of Supervisors to implement this? Uh, there's going to be a a kind of ministerial resolution that's going to come before the board in a few weeks. So that's going to happen. And then the county will come back to reassess the tax rate in the fall for the 2023 year. Are there other counties that are in the same kinds of discussions? Are there other organizations like yours and other counties that are having these same talks with their boards of supervisors? Uh, HCGA, we work with uh, Origins Council yeah. as an umbrella trade association that represents six other legacy producing regions. So Humboldt, Mendocino, Sonoma County, Trinity County, Nevada County, and Big Sur. And all trade associations that we work with in those counties are trying to work with their decision makers to affect tax policy changes. Unfortunately, in Mendocino, the way that their tax initiative was written, it did not give the power to the supervisors to make changes without going back before the voters. So some tax policy initiatives gave power to reduce, amend, or repeal, and some initiatives did not. In Sonoma, they are looking at trying to reduce their tax liability. How soon that's going to take effect, I don't know. It's quite a win for the local farmers and, as we heard, a victory that will prove to be quite significant for some in the near term. But obviously, while the measure provides some immediate relief, it does not address the larger structural issues that have caused the recent market collapse. So, when we return, we'll talk with Natalyn about what needs to be done longer term to stabilize the industry in Humboldt County and across the state of California. Back with more Humboldt Chronicles right after this. Welcome back, and thank you very much for listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. In our final segment tonight, we continue our discussion with HCGA's Natalyn DeLapp about the dire situation the cannabis industry finds itself in. While a recent Board of Supervisors decision provides some much-needed relief, the structural problems in the industry will continue. We asked Natalyn what further reforms she'd like to see. This is a significant thing, and uh, it has a has a real impact. It makes a big difference, and it's quite a it's quite a victory for the for, for the cannabis industry. But obviously, this kind of addresses a symptom and and not the cause. What needs to be done moving forward to kind of take care of some of the problems that are systemic to the the way the industry is structured? We need the governor to 
legislate a tax reduction for the cannabis industry. We absolutely need to eliminate the cultivation tax, but it would be prudent to further reduce the overall cannabis tax at the state level so that legal cannabis is more competitive with unregulated cannabis. We need increased access to retail for legal outlets. 68% of the state is still has prohibitions on access to legal retail cannabis, which further exacerbates the unregulated market. We as farmers and producing regions and manufacturing regions, we need increased access to consumers. We will be working with uh, Assemblymember Wood on an events bill that would hopefully, if passed, would increase farmers and manufacturers' opportunity to interact direct with consumers. There's a whole regulatory platform that needs to be smoothed out within uh, the regulating body of the state, which is the DCC, the Department of Cannabis Control. And then, you know, overarching is a much bigger conversation, which we don't have answers to, which is how do small producing regions like Humboldt develop an overarching brand and marketing strategy to create a value-added product. Because ultimately, if we continue to be price takers and not price makers, we are going to be under the pendulum of whatever's happening in this commodity market. And other parts of the state will outcompete us. They can drop production costs lower than we can. And so the real question is, what are we going to do collectively as an industry to develop an overarching strategy to sell the weed and not just sell it, but sell it and develop a product and value supply chain line that's going to benefit our community. Do you have plans to go back to the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors since you had good luck working with them on this uh, most recent project? Do you have other ideas about while things may or may not be going on statewide, other things you can do here locally that might help out the industry through the Board of Supervisors, given that now you have their ear and you've had some success with them? The county was the recipient of a pretty sizable amount of funding from the state of California, $18 million. The majority of those funds are going to be used for water storage and renewable energy development, which is great because earlier today the county was discussing you know, the ongoing drought and what to do. We need to have a sustainable agricultural industry. The cannabis industry wants to be able to do things right, but we need funding and support. And because cannabis remains federally illegal, we don't have access to any of the traditional funding streams that every other business has. So that's why Humboldt County continues to receive these funds from the state. Um, Like I mentioned before, these equity funds, we need those funds to be processed and get into the hands of the farmers. I think people remember back in October that the supervisors uh, reallocated a million dollars back into Project Trellis for emergency grants. We need those funds to be released. We need those funds to be released for the water storage and development. All of that stuff requires bureaucratic effort on behalf of the county, which can be sometimes time consuming. And uh, it requires the industry to do a lot of paperwork to access those funds. And then we need the funds to actually be released from the county to the people, which can also be challenging. So, you know, we just really need the county processes to start getting these monies out 
as fast as possible. We don't have a lot of time left. You know, if people don't have water storage purchased before April 1st, they can no longer divert water to fill those tanks. So we are really under deadlines. So we need the county to work. We've been doing our job of maintaining the farms and making sure that they're compliant, but we need the county to get the funds out that they've accessed into the hands of the operators. Do you think that what's going on at the county level here in Humboldt, and you mentioned other counties as well, is going to serve as a way of uh, pushing the state to take some action similar to this? Absolutely. We have to think global and act local, and our supervisors took a leadership position. They put their money where their mouth is, and in the advocacy efforts that need to occur on the state level and that are being championed by our Senator Mike McGuire, it really will have an impact. Of course, what's going on on the state level is highly complicated. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. It is a very large amount of money that needs to be discussed and how the politics will influence the ultimate outcome uh, are yet to be determined. But to have Humboldt County take this kind of leadership role and use the, the pathways and avenues that it has to use that as a point of leverage is impactful. At the state level, there's one change Humboldt County farmers say could be made that would offer them some much-needed flexibility in scheduling their cultivation activities. It's a change that could also have a beneficial effect statewide on water shortages caused by our multi-year drought. As an analogy, let's say you have a very sweet 1969 Pontiac GTO convertible in your garage that you've been meaning to restore for a while, but you haven't yet found the time. Well, the state of California will allow you to register your GOAT as non-operational, meaning it's still registered, but it's not going to be on the streets. The fee for a non-operational registration is significantly lower than a standard registration. Now, take that situation and apply it to cannabis cultivation. If a farmer wants to take one of her fields out of cultivation for a season, shouldn't she be able to do that without paying the full license fee? Seems like a no-brainer, right? For some reason, it's not that simple. One of our biggest priorities right now on top of state cultivation tax elimination is we need the state of California through the DCC to authorize what's known as fallowing, meaning a cultivation area can not be grown and the operator does not have to pay the entire state license fee. As it is, Cannabis operators and farmers throughout the entire state of California only have two options, pay their full licensing fee, which can run tens of thousands of dollars annually and not grow or forfeit that license. So as we look at the overproduction across the state of California, as we look at drought across the state of California, it would be wise for the state to create a pathway, a mechanism for cannabis operators up and down the state of California to cultivate less cannabis. That does not exist right now. Um, We have a firm verbal commitment and written commitments from the supervisors to advocate to the best of their ability, but ultimately this is going to be a decision that comes down to Governor Gavin Newsom. Have you heard what his thoughts are on it? 
they don't think that there is a pathway right now or that they think that there needs to be the right type of emergency proclamation. And many folks within the industry have stated that the drought is an emergency and the use of water, both groundwater and surface water, is impactful on the state's water resources. I mean, it makes sense. It logically applies. <laughs> What's going to happen next? I don't know. And it is, I'll say this, it feels like a bit of a Hail Mary from the industry when this seems like a very common sense solution. Yeah, I was just going to say when most of the state is still considered to be in various degrees of drought, some of it extreme drought, how can that not be an emergency? I mean, up here on the North Coast, we actually have rain. The rest of the state, I was, has more significant drought because cannabis operators are not allowed to uh, pull from surface waters during the growing season from April 1st to October 31st. They rely on groundwater. And the majority of the state are impacted groundwater management zones. And so it just seems very practical <laughs> that, yeah. that the state create a pathway to grow less weed considering market oversupply, saturation, what is likely resulting in massive proliferation of the illicit market, which is then leaving the California borders, which is then further, like that's called interstate trafficking still. Yeah, and if you think of agriculture in general, in say the Midwest or wherever, ways of fallowing land exist in order to keep the commodities markets in line. Uh, is that right? And I, yes. I, so why not with this in the state of California? Your guess is as good as mine. So do you, do you know from some of your members, I mean, do you, you know people who would take some part of their, of their land out of cultivation, at least temporarily, if they could? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've surveyed our members. More than 50% and more like 75% to 80% would take advantage of some form of fallowing, especially because market prices are so low. It is more expensive to cultivate cannabis than it is to not. And so being able to take a season or two off and not cultivate yet maintain their, their licensing so that they don't lose their place in line, absolutely, farmers would take advantage of that. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guest, Natalyn DeLapp, Executive Director of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Savage Henry Comedy Club, Goat Global Humboldt, and Humboldt Urban Market. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday day of March. See you next time, March the 16th at 6 p.m.